a mature sense of patriotism holds together in attention the things that we need to lament about and the things that we hope for. What we do is we get spiritual and intellectual lazy people who want to sort of alleviate that tension. No, you've got to hold it together in the way that God holds uh, God's viewpoint of us together. I am saint and I am sinner. I am both. This is Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. Welcome to Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. I'm Melissa Rao, and Bishop Wright and I are having a conversation based on Four Faith, a weekly devotion sent out every Friday. You can find a link to this week's Four Faith and a link to subscribe in the episode's description. Good morning, Bishop. Good morning. How you doing? I'm all right, man. You named this week's <laughs> devotion for America. Yeah. And it's taken directly from the prayer for our nation, uh, which is on page 820 out of the 1979 Book of Common Prayer. There you go. And July 4th is coming up. And so I imagine that's why you chose it. Or perhaps it's because the last couple of weeks have felt insane and tensions are running high. Yeah. You want to tell us why you chose to share this with us this time? Well, yeah, sure. Well, I mean, you know, I am born and raised in this country. Um, I love this country. I've served this country. I wore the uniform. Um, I believe in the, um, the experiment called democracy. I believe uh, we are an imperfect union, uh, and I believe that we can perfect this union um, through uh, government, through uh, neighborliness, uh, and and all of that. I I think even though we're facing difficult days right now, I think that America is worth saving. Uh, And so, you know, when I think about that, I think about people like you and I who have faith, and we ought to pray. And so the 4th of July is not only a, a, a time to celebrate, you know, uh, the legacy of democracy that we have, as imperfect as it is, it is also a time to sort of celebrate along with the baseball and the apple pie and all of that. It's an opportunity to rededicate ourselves uh, to the work of neighborliness uh, in this wonderful country called America. And so uh, sometimes um, we can be so critical Uh, of our union. And we've got to hold our legitimate critiques in tension with an acknowledgement of the ground we've crossed in this country uh, and the opportunity that we enjoy. Wow, that was a big statement right there. And it's kind of shaded my next question. (laughs) (laughs) So we got to hold in tension. And so I want to like, can we just get the bad stuff out of the way first? Okay. Before we dive into the good stuff of this prayer, I've heard it I've heard it said that belief shapes prayer and prayer shapes belief. And so it's hard for me sometimes to pray this prayer because of how it begins. It says, God who has given us this good land for our heritage. And that feels wrong to me, unless it's a prayer written solely for indigenous people. And so... I don't, I mean, I don't believe God gave us all this land, but many of us, um, you know, many of us took it. And so can we just get this tiny part out of the way? I, how do you prayerfully standing alongside other people who may not have a problem with anything in the prayer? Like, how do we pray this authentically? And, and again, hold intention, kind of what you said before 
you know, like the imperfect stuff. This is an imperfect prayer to me. Got any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, it's an imperfect prayer for an imperfect nation, for a bunch of imperfect Americans, right? Uh, born or naturalized. And so, uh, I mean, that's not an excuse. The fact of the matter is, is that we did take the land. We, we did, um, uh, you know, exterminate uh, an entire gr- group of people. Um, uh, we, we did seize property and call it our own. And we did transport uh, human beings to labor in, uh, in the land that we took. And by we, I'm, I'm claiming uh, my part of we is, uh, as an American citizen. So even though, even though I'm an African-American, uh, because I live in America, I enjoy the benefits uh, of stolen property and stolen personhood. Uh, as uh, other Americans do. So that is the fact of America. And, um, you know, I'm glad we get to talk about this because I, I, some people are so afraid to talk about America's sort of shadow side. And I, I, think they do, I think they do the country a disservice by negating or neglecting to talk about our journey. We have a very complex family dynamic in America. Uh, from 1619, when the first Africans arrived, which is a year before the pilgrims, uh, to the, the men and the women in the deep, rich culture that we, that we found when we got here, uh, a civilized culture, a genius culture that paid attention to land and water and thought in terms of decision-making around seven generations. I mean, we call them savages, but nevertheless, that was a high culture. And it's only now some of us are discovering that we, we sort of uh, ran roughshod over something that we should have conserved and preserved and been humble enough to learn from rather than uh, lean into extermination. But, but I think that we do America a real great service when we talk about uh, who we have been and, uh, and our mistakes uh, and, uh, and uh, the things that uh, we have done to hurt people. Uh, because uh, we have now a realistic uh, sense of who we are, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, any therapist worth three cents will, will, not, will never tell you to sort of just push away all the bad stuff and put it into a closet and, and leave it there, right, and sweep it under the rug. No, you've got to process that, and we've got to do that um, as a nation. Uh, what, what concerns me is that people think you, you are not a patriot, if you name what we've done to women and what we've done to indigenous people and what we've done to Africans and, um, you know, the internment camps for, for, for the Japanese and the, uh, the, the abusive policies even right now for immigrants. I mean, uh, just 52 people have died in the back of a truck, uh, you know, in Texas being transported as labor. Um, and the reason that that happened was because there is a market still for, you know, to exploit cheap labor. Um, and so, and so, yeah, America is not a perfect nation, but I, I think that America is worth working on, is worth saving. And, and how I get this, see, look, we, what we've got to make the connection here, uh, too, is, is that, so, so what does that have anything to do with me being a Christian and you being a Christian and you and I being people of faith? See, see, for me, it's all about neighborliness, right? My first citizenship, our first citizenship, as St. Paul has said, is in heaven. Right. And then everything thereafter, right, is another context, a lesser context for our citizenship. Right. So because I'm a citizen of heaven, 
right? Because by virtue of my relationship to Jesus Christ and your relationship to Jesus Christ, you know, I therefore now I'm in a specific locale and context. And so my calling, therefore, is to reflect heaven even amidst the, the most tragic looking hell. And, and that this is our add value as Christians to wherever we are. And so it makes sense to me, therefore, for us to celebrate our nation uh, and also to deepen our sense of commitment and dedication to making this nation, even in our specific locales, look more like heaven and less like hell. Right. Which is actually, to me, the definition of what reconciliation is. Yeah. So yeah. like, how do we, at, we're, how do we be neighbors, good neighbors, yeah. without being able to tell the truth? Well, you have to. I mean, this is it, right? I mean, and so what we have to do is try to increase the capacity. And this is where the church has failed in many ways, is that we have not done a whole lot better in the church than civil society, right? And so what civil society should take from us is an example of how to tell the truth in love, how to name all these grievous factors that I just named and sit with them, live in that tension. See, I think what people are so worried about is guilt, condemnation, shame, right? And so because of that, we can't talk about who we've actually been. We have to dispute it and we have to, we have to burn books and we have to outlaw books, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and of course, we have to be careful with information, but the facts are clear about what we've done to indigenous people and that we withheld the vote to, uh, you know, uh, to women you know, until the 20s. And I mean, it's, it's not like we're, we're making this stuff up. And so I think it's a much more rich conversation. In fact, a much more hopeful conversation. If we can name where we have been, and begin to sort of talk about where we are and then name, you know, those things that keep us from being, you know, the great country that we aspire to be. Uh, that's all hopeful for me. I agree. Friends, we'll be right back after a short break. Hi, friends. Thank you for listening to Four People, a space of digital evangelism. It's summer and a perfect time for some summer shorts. Join us over the next five weeks as we respond to questions from our faithful listeners. These are short, real short, like five minute short. Listen in next Friday for question one. And now back to four people. Welcome back to four people. Bishop, many Americans will be celebrating Independence Day in just a few days. And I'm curious what, um, what you think about freedom. Oh, <laughs> um, like especially through your perspective as a veteran. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. There's a great question. Well, uh, freedom. Yes, I want some and I want it for everybody. So, yes, I'll have a double scoop of that. Right. Um, we know that freedom ain't free. We know that people have to pay the price. And so at least on this Fourth of July, we have to give thanks for the men and the women who pay the ultimate sacrifice, families, spouses who pay the ultimate sacrifice, mothers and fathers who pay the ultimate sacrifice and sending a loved one, you know, off to war. So we, we remember that and we remember the great cost of freedom. But then, you know, we've got to think about freedom, I think, as, as being extended to all, right? And so, so for me, that ends up being a justice conversation. So, so justice and freedom are intimately linked together. Right. So if we want more freedom for everybody in the culture and society, then we've got to talk about justice. We've got to talk about the scales of justice in this nation. And, you know, uh, can a woman uh, and a man earn the same for the same work? Not yet in America. Not yet in America. Um, you know, uh, does, a, does a person of color have exactly the same kind of opportunity 
that a white brother or sister has, not yet in America, in many places, in some instances, to be sure. I'm an example of that, but not everywhere, not everywhere. And so we have to talk about that. Uh, do gay and lesbian people have the same opportunities? Uh, can they move forward without some kind of taint or some kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, sidelining? Not, not everywhere in America just yet, right? And so, and so, you know, do, does a Congress represent the, the tapestry that is America? Not yet. Not yet. So we, we've got work to do. And so uh, all of that work for me is about fortifying this idea of freedom, making it real. It's a great idea. It's a great word to use. And everybody can get a little weepy eyed or, you know, the sort of chin starts moving when we start talking about freedom. But all the freedoms that you and I enjoy were hard won by generations before us, hard won. And so, I mean, think about the women who did the legwork to make uh, woman suffrage a reality for you so that you get to go to the polls and your daughters get to go to the polls and you don't have to think about being excluded, right? And so, so I guess I always think in terms of what is the work here? So what we want to do is we want to extend um, the blessings of liberty, as they say, you know, to ourselves and our posterity, right? Uh, so this is, this is the work for us. And what guides us as people of faith is, is our absolute radical commitment to the fact that we are siblings, uh, you know, in the eyes of a loving God. So all of that, that theology is what drives us. Now, what drives other people, I don't know, and it's not for me to say, but what, what drives, I think, people of faith, how they marry these ideas of following Jesus uh, and working on making this a more perfect union is, is that it's the rocket fuel for us. We have a radically clear idea from the Gospels and the Epistles and the New Testament, Old Testament as well, about neighborliness. And, and that's what we're working on. And so it comes out in the polls and it comes out in, in the grassroots work that, that we do. And, and we've got to do more. I was talking to Andy Young the other day. Ambassador Andy Young, who's if I ever had a grandpa, I would choose him. I mean, I never <laughs> I never had a grandpa, but you know, so maybe God gave me a grandpa. He's 90 years old. And he said the most jarring thing to me the other day. He said that uh, as he reads the newspapers and takes in all the data that is today, he said it seems that hate is more organized than it's ever been. I was so struck, I was blown away by that comment. I said, "Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You got to go slow here." I said, "Now, this is a guy who faced down dogs, and state police, racist state police. And I mean, he's just seen the worst of us, you know, in all these little towns that many of them are in the Diocese of Atlanta. Uh, he confronted these places. And he said that now hate is more organized than before. He said that the only way they were able to make the progress that they made, which, you know, even accrues to us now, you and I sitting here uh, talking as brother and sister, um, was because love was more organized than hate in his day. How they made a difference in Montgomery, how they made a difference in Birmingham, how they made a difference in all kinds of places was because love was more organized than hate was. That's how they were able to run the nonviolent strategy and to break the backs of segregation in lots of places, right? Wow, right? I mean, that's a PhD dissertation right there. But, but what we've got to do now, I think, as Americans, as followers of Jesus, is, is that we've got, to get our, we've got to get our love organized. Amen to that. Yeah. Which, which leads me to the question, Bishop, is there room for lament when coupled with the idea of patriotism or American pride? I think in a mature, a mature sense of patriotism holds together in attention 
the things that we need to lament about and the things that we hope for. I think those two things have to stay in dialogue in us. What we do is we get spiritual and intellectual lazy people who want to sort of alleviate that tension, um, you know, falsely or immaturely and just sort of put one away. No, you've got to hold it together in the way that God holds uh, God's viewpoint of us together. I am saint and I am sinner. I am both. Mm. I am both. So we, we've got to hold lament of where we've been uh, with the hope of where we're going. We have to. And we're talking about the great we as the Christian we. I'm talking about the great we as a, the American we. As the American we. Well, what, what, here's the tension though, right? Many of us would, many people would call America a Christian nation. Yeah. And that rubs me the wrong way. I don't think you could, I don't think numerically you can bear that out. Um, right. When you look at the when you look at recent data, I don't think you can bear that out. There, we, we are we are uh, many of us in America are uh, no religious affiliation at all, and that number is increasing rapidly, right? And so, uh, a, a Christian is becoming associated with sort of xenophobic, homophobic, um, white, uh, you know, evangelical prejudice, uh, those sorts of things. These are these are the words that people are ascribing to Christianity, right? Uh, and so a lot of young people are walking away from that. Uh, Islam has a certain population. Uh, Judaism has a certain population. And so, so we, we are becoming as a, as a, as a, as a country, um, something that, that does not have a shared lexicon or vocabulary about how we shall proceed to make a difference in America as a, as a believing group. There are pockets, certainly, but uh, as a general matter, not so much. It, it's in some ways even, um, in some places, pejorative to be labeled as a Christian because of how people have come to that um, uh, pedophile, uh, uh, abusive authoritarianism, uh, all of these negatives uh, um, that are being in continually ascribed to what it means to be Christian uh, these days. And, and so we're, we're having to work through that as well. Right. Which I, I would say a dominant minority of us would call themselves an evangelical Christian. Uh, and, and so I'm wondering about the shoulds, you know, there's so many people who should on us, you know, like Brene Brown <laughs> for the <laughs> listeners, we, she said should. <laughs> well, I took it from Brene Brown. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's right. fabulous. Yeah, yeah. But you know, how do we, how do we reconcile the fact that we can show up to people and say, actually, we can stand firm with our Jewish and our Muslim and our other um, other faith-based Christians, or I'm sorry, other faith-based Americans, and say that this is our country, that we are a global we, or you know, a, a united we. That we do this in 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 response to our call as Jesus followers, but with respect for people who are not. Well, yeah, I mean, Howard Thurman said this better than anybody, which is, which is, it is my Christianity that puts me beside other brothers and sisters from other faiths as sibling, right? So it is because I follow Jesus and try to go to some depth in that, that I end up beside lots of different kinds of people, right? So what they say in the Habitat for Humanity and the good work that happens there, right? It's a Christian organization, uh, founded as a Christian organization, continues in its Christian identity. But what they say is Christ is our center, but Christ is not our border. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just a wonderful way to say that. Jonathan Reckford, who who is the executive director, says that all, again and again and again. That's perfect because what that means is, is that 
out of our center, we find ourselves side by side with lots of different kinds of people doing the work of Christ in the real work, world. And to that, we, we can you know, add all kinds of partners, right? Because it's just about the work getting done. Yeah. That sounds like freedom. Well, yeah. I mean, and, and you know what freedom is? Freedom is, you know, freedom is also connected to partnership, I think. Yeah. I think what makes us free is, is that if we join together with a clear sense of purpose, you know, the, the worst kind of partnership is coercion and, uh, and obligation, shame and guilt. The best kind of partnership is, is I do this um, of my own volition. Uh, this is the place I want to spend my agency uh, for this thing, uh, you know, this, this enterprise, in this case, uh, this country. And so, this is why Jesus kept trying to make partners, kept asking people, you know, and this is why when like people like the rich young ruler, you know, when he was invited to go forward with Jesus, he said, no, I'm good. I'm going to keep my stuff. And he turned around and went away. But Jesus didn't shame him. Right. Because the best expression of partnership is uncoerced partnership. Right. And so, you know, out of, out of our out of our own deep commitment to what we say are our values, it should bear fruit in the world. And so if we love this country. And we understand this country, right? Uh, we should find our, our, our way um, into listening with other people deeply, listening for fears and not just uh, uh, opportunities to sort of bludgeon people with our talking points, whatever our talking points are. And while I'm on this tirade, let me say this. <laughs> you know, uh, I hear from people all the time in the body of Christ, that is the, the Christian family. And they, they want to use the terms liberal and conservative all the time. And, and, and may I just say so, so very humbly that that is not in the gospel and it's not <laughs> in the epistle. And, and it, 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 it has no benefit to Christian fellowship. It, it's just a way to diminish people. And so what I'm more interested in is trying to find out <clears throat> what my brothers and sisters on either side of things are afraid of. What is their concern? and figure out how we can we can get something done. We just passed a gun bill here, first one in 30 years. It was bipartisan. It's not perfect. I'm not saying it's perfect. Please don't send me any emails. I'm not saying it's perfect. But, you know, it got overshadowed by some of the horrible things. Uh, it got overshadowed by the row reversal. Uh, but, but, you know, for some of us, it was a glimmer. It was a glimmer. By no means is it perfect. Uh, we could have done more, should have done more, in my opinion. But it, it is it is, it is, is a step. Yeah. Well, Bishop, I'll be celebrating with you, I'm sure, this very imperfect yet, um, uh, I guess, into experiment. We're still experimenting, still right? Still experimenting, All yeah. America. I'm sure. grateful. Happy Independence Day, y'all. Happy Independence to you. And just remember, pray for this country. If you love this country, pray for her. Amen. Thank you for listening to Four People. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. Please subscribe, leave a review, and we look forward to being back with you next week.